Would you please turn with me to your study outline there in your program. And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, and Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad they are joining us for our study of God's Word. We're starting a new series today called The Parables of Jesus. And a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And the most famous parable teller in history uh, was Jesus. Now we're going to start with the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And we're going to call this message minimum wage. Matthew 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. Now their work day was a 12-hour day from 6 in the morning till 6 at night. Tire workers for his vineyard. Verse 2. He agreed to pay them a denarius. Now, denarius was the typical payment for a day's work for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. Now, let's just hold it there for just a moment. The first group had a contract. They work for a day, they get a denarius. This next group doesn't have a contract. He just simply says, go out and work for me and I will pay you whatever I think is right. And it reminds me of that saying, God gives the best to those who leave the choosing up to him. If you let God choose how he's going to reward you, if you let God choose how, how he's going to bless you, uh, God leaves the best things in life to those who leave the choosing up to him. And so he says, come follow me and I'll pay you whatever is right. You can trust my character to do the thing that's right. Now verse 5. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon. Did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, okay, this is an hour from quitting time, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day uh, long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. That's a sad phrase, isn't it? Because nobody has hired us. If you've ever been out of work for a period of time, you know how that feels when nobody has, has hired you. You know, you know what they could all, what they could have said is what's behind that saying? Because no one has hired us because nobody wanted us. Uh, by the end of the day, the reason maybe they were still left is maybe they were the oldest. I mean, uh, who, who wants an old guy like me working in the vineyard? Well, you can have a young guy like a Christian or, or, you know, you can, you can have one of, you know, Donald, you know, I was t- looking at Donald here. Sorry, Talithia. Yeah, I was, I was being sexist there. I've seen Donald in the gym, you know. Okay, you can get a young guy like that or Chris. You're, you're going to go for the young guy and, and, and not for the old guy. So they may have been the oldest. They may have been the weakest. They may have been the disabled. They said, nobody wanted us. No one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Now here's the surprise in the story. The story's kind of gone as you'd expected until here's the big surprise. Let's hold it there for just a moment. The, The landowner of the vineyard, was merciful because these that were hired with only one hour to go in the day, their families needed to eat just like the ones that had been there all day. They needed to eat just like the others. And so out of mercy, he gives them the full denarius in order to feed themselves and to feed their family. Verse 10. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. 
When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. The heat of the day means the temperature, but also the hot wind blowing off the desert. Uh, You've made them us, we've borne all that. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Now notice, it's, it's a rebuke, but it's a loving, gentle, kind rebuke. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, this uh, passage, this story, is not about um, how a corporation should design their HR department. I see some of you that were Rourke Mowdy and others that were CEOs of companies. This is not a guideline for how corporations should design their HR department. This is a story about the kingdom of God. And the landowner represents God. The workers that are hired, those who are uh, the, the ones that follow Christ. Uh, some people become Christians early in their life and serve God most of their lives. Others walk into heaven in the ninth inning. Okay, two, 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 two outs, three and two count. Just like the game last night. How many of you saw that game last night? I'm so sorry to use baseball analogies for Dodgers fans. I know it's still very close to the surface there. Uh, bottom of the ninth, two, two down, two strikes, like the guys that came to work in the vineyard at five in the afternoon, right before they die and the game is over. This parable has been called the parable of the thief on the cross. I remember a thief on the cross, he was a guy crucified next to Jesus. And about 15 minutes before he died, He'd lived this terrible life. And about 15 minutes before he died, he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you remember me? Would you save me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus turns to him and says, I promise you today you're gonna be with me in heaven. And boom, he dies about 10 or 15 minutes later and, and he's in heaven. And so some have called this parable the parable of the thief on the cross. Now Jesus' point is that the person who accepts Christ at age 90 on their deathbed And the person who accepts Christ at age five and serves God their entire life, they both get to enjoy the beauty and riches of heaven. So God is offering a full place in heaven, even to the latecomer and even to the outsider. Okay, let's make this a little harder. You sit back and say, oh, that's nice of God to do that. Okay, let's make it it a little harder, okay? Uh, That means that Adolf Hitler accepts Jesus just before he dies in that bunker in Berlin in 1945. And he goes to the same heaven that Mother Teresa goes to. How many of you are annoyed by that? Come on, let's just be honest with each other. That annoys me. That doesn't seem right. That seems reckless to me. Remember the song we sing sometimes here at 945, The Reckless Love of God? That, that feels outlandish. That, that doesn't make sense. Uh, somebody also gave me another analogy when I was out in the, in the lobby. They said, how about Ted Bundy? There's a good illustration. You know Ted Bundy? Mur- he confessed to killing 30 people. And there's probably way more that he murdered. Did you know that Ted Bundy accepted Christ before he died? He did an interview of uh, James Dobson all about how Jesus had changed his life. And that when he died uh, in lethal injection, uh, the moment he died, he, we believe he opened his eyes in heaven. Uh, imagine how the, the victims, uh, the families of the victims would feel about that, that Ted Bundy goes to the same heaven that Mother Teresa goes to. 
Let's make it more personal. Think of the person in your life who has hurt you the most deeply and the most unfairly. What's the person that's done you the most wrong? They accept Christ right before they die, and they go to the same heaven that you do. Now, this whole parable is summarized by two words, wage and gift. Is it a wage getting into heaven, or is it a gift? Getting into heaven is not a wage that you earn. It's a gift that God gives. Uh, Getting into heaven is not a wage that you earn. It's a gift that God gives. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Let's read this all out loud together, okay? Everybody out loud together. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I I saw this little acronym the other day, grace, G-R-A-C-E. Grace equals God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at, at Christ's expense. Now, when you see grace, when you experience grace, it changes everything. It changes the way you look at everything. It changes the way you see everything. It, it's a whole paradigm shift within our lives. It's the difference between religion and relationship. It's the, the difference between do and done. Every religion in the world, including the religion of Christianity, tells you what you must do to be right with God. D-D-O. Uh, follow this list of do's. Avoid this list of don'ts. Um, uh, do, do this list of rituals. Do this ceremony. Um, give a certain amount. Uh, do a certain number of acts of service. And if you do enough, maybe, just maybe, the good you've done in your life will outdo the bad that you've done. I remember my dad uh, sharing with this this old farmer that that farmed the peanut farm that we worked with as a family that we owned as a family in Southern Virginia, and he was on his uh, Mr. Bailey was his name. I never knew his first name because I was a Southerner. Okay, so it was only Mr. Bailey is all I ever knew him as. And uh, there, uh, as he was on his deathbed, he just kept saying over and over again, I hope I've been good enough. I hope I've been good enough. I hope I've been good enough. And my dad had the chance to share with him the grace of Jesus Christ, that it's not about D.O. It's not about doing enough good things. It is about D-O-N-E. This parable is about done. It has been done for you by Jesus Christ on the cross. It it is not about do, it is about done and receiving that as not a wage to be earned, but as a free gift to be received. And when you see it, it just changes the way you you look at everything. Now, let me give you a little test here, see what you see here. We'll put the first one up here. How many of you seen pillars? How many of you see pillars? Let, Let me see your hands, okay? How many of you see people? How many of you see people? How many of you see both? Anybody? Okay. How many of you see neither? All right, okay. Okay, for the pillars... Here's the pillars, see the pillars, just like that. The white ones are the pillars. And then the, the, the black silhouettes there, do you see that there? Uh, the black silhouettes there, those are the people, all right? Um, forgive me, I'm gonna keep moving. I'm not gonna leave these up here the whole service so you can figure them out, but, uh, but um, you can Google them if you don't get a chance to see it. Okay, let's put the next one up there. How many of you see a duck? Let me see your hands. How many of you see a rabbit? Let me see your hands. How many of you have seen both? Let me see your hands. Okay. So for those of you that don't see the duck, here's his bill right here. The bill of the duck. Here's his eyes. He's to the side. And you see the duck bill right there? Okay. Now for those that need to see the rabbit, these are rabbit ears. There's his side eye and the rabbit is looking 
that way. Do you, do you see that? Okay. This is a spiritual test, all right? That, uh, um, okay, let's, 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 this one's been around forever. How many see a younger lady? Let me see your hands, okay? How many of you see an older lady? Let me see your hands. How many of you see both of them? How many of you see neither of them? Okay, all right. Well, here's, here's the, the older lady. Here's her chin right down there, and there's her eye. She's kind of got her chin down in like a fur coat there, something like that. Here's the younger lady. She's looking to the side. She's got a feather in her hair. And see, that's her eyelash right there. There's the younger lady. Well, that's the way it is with grace. Uh, Grace changes every way, everything. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Let me ask you, once you saw that, would you recognize it again? Once you've seen it, it, it changes everything. Now, if you misunderstand grace, life becomes a drudgery. Let's go back to verses 11 and 12. Matthew 20, back to verse 11. They began to grumble against the landowner. Verse 12, those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and and the heat of the day. Three things start happening. Number one, you'll start grumbling against God. Number two, you'll resent other people. Uh, We'll resent God's generous heart towards other people. We won't want other people for God to be as generous to them as he's generous uh, to us. Uh, the second and fourth Thursdays of the month is our street sweeping day. And so we have to have the cars off the street just those two days, and we'll get a ticket if we have them there uh, before noon. How many of you have a setup like that uh, where you live? And so you got to have those cars off the street where, where we live here in Pomona uh, on those just those two mornings uh, until noon, or you'll get a ticket. And so a couple of Wednesday nights ago, uh, I was here late at church, and so I come home, and my uh, son Noah has, a, has his uh, friend Vincent over, and so he had driven into the driveway. So I parked my car on the street, thinking to myself, oh, I'll remember before I go to bed to take it off the street. Oh, yeah, right. Like, I remember anything anymore. You know, it's not, not a chance. Next time I thought about it was the next morning I'm in bed. Kimberly had gotten up before me, and she's shouting from downstairs, they're ticketing your car, they're ticketing your car. So I go running downstairs, grab the keys. Now I want you to know, I have never talked myself out of a ticket, a single time in my whole life. Never talked myself out of a ticket. Kimberly does almost every single time. She can always talk herself. I just look like the kind of guy that deserves a ticket. That, that, that's just the way I, I look like somebody who doesn't merit grace. But she had already talked me out of the ticket before I arrived on the scene. And so the police officer said, okay, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll let it ride. Then he sees me. Well, maybe, I don't know. But she had already talked him out of it. So I waved to the police officer. I said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I jump in my car and, and, and move it in, in, into the driveway. And it was, it was grace. It was a beautiful moment of grace until this man who's been walking his dog on the other side of the street, he's been standing there watching the whole thing. And as Kimberly and I go back into the house, we hear him shout to another man, why do we get tickets and that guy gets out of one? All right? He did not appreciate the beautiful moment of grace. And, 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 and that's the way it is. If you misunderstand grace, life becomes a, a, a drudgery. You start complaining to God. We start resenting other people. Um, uh, we get proud and, and we get arrogant. We begin to think, you know what? I've made so many sacrifices that others haven't made. Um, I deserve God's grace more than other people deserve God's grace. Uh, Philip Yancey writes, we risk missing the story's point that God dispenses gifts, not wages. None of us gets paid according to merit like these early workers. None of us. 
for none of us comes close to satisfying God's requirements for a perfect life. If paid on the basis of merit, we would all end up in hell. Uh, we want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That's one of our favorite things, isn't it, here at Purpose Church? We want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Uh, William Booth uh, is the one who started the Salvation Army in London in 1878. Do you know he started the Salvation Army eight years after our church was started? Did you know our church is eight years older than the Salvation Army? We're going to be 150 years uh, uh, old next year, 2020, from 1870 to 1820, and we are going to party next year like crazy. It's going to be just a great, great year. And so eight years uh, after our church was started, he started the Salvation Army. And this is how he started it. On Christmas Eve, there was a tradition back then in, in the late 1800s in London that town criers would go out to gather people for the Christmas Eve services. And so a, a guy would come out and he would be able to cry out. He'd say, all of you who are Anglicans, come here. And all the Anglicans would gather from the city streets and he would lead them to have a Christmas Eve service at the Anglican church. And they'd say, all who are Methodists, come here. And all the Methodists would gather around him and he would lead the Methodists to the Methodist church to have a Christmas Eve service. And they'd say, all that are Baptists, all that are Presbyterians, come here. And, and they'd follow him to the Baptist church or to the Presbyterian church to have a Christmas Eve service. Then after everybody had done that, William Booth would go out to the streets of London and would say, all who have nowhere else to go, come here. And that's how he started the Salvation Army. Everybody who had no other place to go, no place to go, you come here. And he'd have a Christmas Eve service and he'd feed them and he'd send them home. And that's how he started the Salvation Army. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the one who stands on the streets of Rancho Cucamonga or, or San Dimas or Laverne or Chino Hills or Pomona and says, all who have nowhere else to go, come here. And we as Purpose Church, as followers of Christ, our lives, our church family should shout that from the streets, all who have nowhere else, all who haven't been hired, all who haven't been chosen, all who haven't been wanted, you come here because we follow Jesus and he is the landowner who accepts people from the outside and those that are the latecomers and those that are the outsiders. Anybody want to say amen to that? Now, grace keeps my eyes on, on God's generosity. Let's go back to verses 13 through 15 uh, one more time. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now, let's just hold that there. Um, for just a moment. This phrase, uh, are you envious because I'm generous, uh, literally in the Greek language, the original Greek that this was written in, literally means, uh, is your eye evil because I am good? And the evil eye, back in the time of Jesus, was an idiom for jealousy or stinginess. So Jesus is basically saying, do you have a jealous eye? Do you have a stingy eye? Uh, is your eye evil because I am good? Or are you envious because I am generous? It's a wonderful thing to be given something that someone else has paid for, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to be given something that someone else has paid for. That's grace. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. Now that's the problem with performance-based Christianity. It completely misses the generous heart of God. God chooses, the point of this parable is that God chooses to be absurdly generous. Like I see to that praise song that we love to sing, I think I mentioned it earlier, the reckless love of God. He chooses to be absurdly generous. God chooses to lavish us with his grace. God chooses to spread his salvation to anyone who's willing to accept it, even if they come at the last minute and they're on their deathbed after a life of sin and selfishness. He, he lavishly extends his grace. Now, if you're kind of a, a bad person like me, you've had this thought. You don't have to raise your hand. I'll just raise my hand to say I've had it. And if you're a sinner like me, you've had this thought as well. Well, then why don't I just live like hell until just before I die and jump in on this good thing right at the last minute? Anybody want to admit that they're as bad as me and had that thought on there? Well, me neither. I never had the thought. I was just like speaking theoretically. Okay, now, now here's the problem with that. All right. Number one, people have this habit of dying when they don't expect to. It just, it just happens sometimes, you know? And sometimes we see it coming a mile away, but many times we don't, we don't see it coming. Here's the second problem with it. It is hard to change direction at the last minute. Don't count on being able to pull up the plane just before it, it hits the ground. You know, every step you take in one direction is harder to turn around and go in a new direction. That's why you know, you parents say first-time obedience to your children. You ever use that phrase? Do they still use that phrase at all, you know? So, yeah, we gave up on it too. But at any rate, but I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but uh, yeah, you know, that's why for the Christian, first-time obedience, the quicker we repent, the easier it is to repent. And so the more we walk in one direction, you just can't count that you're going to change directions at the last minute. Uh, in 1977, worst aviation disaster in history, um, two jumbo jets collided on takeoff uh, from the runway in, the, uh, in Tenerife in the Canary Islands. 583 people died between these two jumbo jets colliding. Only 61 people survived. And a number of years back, I heard a speaker at a Christian event, because he was a Christian, he was a follower of Christ, uh, of one of the 61 survivors who was a follower of Jesus. And he said something I've never forgotten. He says, you would think that at the last moment in the middle of a plane crash, everybody would call out to Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you think? Even if I'm a hardcore atheist, I'm hedging my bets at the last minute. Who cares, you know? He said it was amazing that at their moment just before they met their God, half of the plane were crying out to Jesus for mercy, and the other half were cursing God. Half were crying out to God, half were cursing God. And so you can't just count on that. But you know what? It's way beyond those two little things to think about. Uh, it's not just about going to heaven. The Christian life is not just about punching your ticket to heaven. Um, another problem for performance-based Christianity is that it completely misses out on the joy, just the joy of being a, a Christian. The people that become Christians early in life they get the joy of knowing that they have a personal relationship with God, you know, like from their earliest years. Uh, honestly, let me ask you a question. When you think about that story, would you really rather be standing around the street corner all day begging for work? I mean, all day, 
you're wondering if you're going to have enough to eat that night before you go to bed or enough to feed your family. There's that tension of just pacing and hoping somebody will pick you. Uh, And then at the last second, I mean, these guys didn't know they were going to eat that night until not only 6 p.m., but 6.01, because the day was over, and they didn't know until that generous landowner slapped down the denarius. They didn't know until the last second. They didn't know until time had expired that they were going to eat that night. Do you really think that they're the ones that had the better deal in the story? Wouldn't you rather be working in the vineyard the whole day using your gifts and abilities? Now, I know it's hot, and I know they bore the heat of the day, and I'm telling you, doesn't it get hot sometimes following Jesus? My goodness, do you ever feel pressure? Sometimes a pastor will say, oh, you follow Jesus, all your problems will go away. How many of you, your problems got worse when you started following Jesus? It got harder. And you had opposition from your family and you had persecution and you may have hadn't been in trouble at work because you wouldn't do certain things. And, and, and you feel the heat of the day, the hot, the blowing desert wind coming in on you. But wouldn't you rather be there fulfilling your purpose, using your gifts and talents and abilities, being useful and knowing the whole time those guys had the assurance the entire day that they're going to have food at the end of the day for themselves and for their family. I think they got the better deal. Wouldn't you rather be living in a relationship with God, the God who made you, knowing that you're fulfilling his plan and purpose for your life, and knowing that if you die today, you're going to go to heaven? knowing that your sins are forgiving, knowing that the Holy Spirit is there to help you, knowing that your future is eternally secure, uh, or would you really rather like living life all alone, jumping from sin to sin, afraid that you might die any moment and have no idea what's gonna happen to you? I think the guys that worked through the heat of the day had the better deal than the ones that came in at the last moment. Uh, Pastor Eric mentioned last Sunday um, uh, that I was, uh, Kimberly and I were in Green Bay, Wisconsin um, uh, to Packers game on Monday night. We're Monday night football. And uh, I think she meant, he mentioned that. And uh, here's a picture of us. And, and uh, you'll notice we're standing in front of the statue of Vince Lombardi. Notice the beam of heavenly light that is... Uh, that is on Vince Lombardi. Uh, You'll also notice I wore about 40 layers of clothing. I mean, it was so cold. Do you know, it was in the 40s, man. It was was just cold. And at night, it got into the 30s. And so the whole week, we had one goal for the whole weekend, don't get cold. That was our whole goal. And so here, now you wonder why there's that beam of heavenly light on the statue of Vince Lombardi. Well, here's a, a quote by Vince Lombardi that's up in the lobby of our hotel room. God, family, and the Green Bay Packers in that order. So that, that would make a beautiful three-point sermon, don't you think, or a three-point series. So anyway, we had a wonderful time. Um, Pastor Randy and Cheryl, their son, um, Grant, is a, a coach for the Green Bay Packers, and there's his wife, Courtney, and, and they've got two such cute grandchildren, and uh, that little girl, Isla, Kimberly just wanted to steal her and take her back here uh, to California, just so precious, and took us out to dinner. He gets us in on a practice. There are only about 30 of us watching the practice, the walkthrough the day before the game. Um, got us on the field with the Green Bay Packers, on the field before uh, in warm-ups before the game began. So we had a wonderful time. But I wish we could say that we enjoyed the football game. 
but that would be a lie. We, we did not enjoy. First of all, it was 40 degrees. Who's going to enjoy that when it's that cold? I, you know, we were surrounded by all these drunken Detroit Lions fans, okay? And, and, and one of them threatened to kill me. True story. If you want to ask me the full story out in the lobby, I don't want to take time right now, but I'll, I'll give it to you. Literally, I hadn't said a word to him the whole game. And he literally, he was angry. And he pointed at me and said, I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, my goodness. So we're trying to stay alive. Uh, we're trying to stay alive with the inebriated Lions fans, and we're, and we're, and we're cold. And, but the worst part, that wasn't the worst part. Here was the worst part, is that we were just on pins and needles the whole time. There are 3,600 seconds in a football game. 3,600 seconds in a football game. And the Packers never led in a single one of those seconds. The only time they led was when there were zero seconds on the clock. As game time expired, they were finally ahead and they won the game. And so our reaction that you see here is, is <laughs> this is not one of joy, this is one of relief, all right? This, this is just relief here going on. Now, we flew home on Tuesday, and Wednesday night, uh, Rebecca and Noah, they were serving down here in Awana and high school ministry. So Kimberly and I were home alone, and neither of us happened to have meetings on, on Wednesday night. So we both looked at each other, and we knew exactly what we wanted to do. Let's watch the game again, because we had, from home now, because we had taped it, and now we knew the final score. Totally different experience, totally. We're sitting back, and the Packers fumble the ball. Isn't that cute when they do that? that? That's hilarious. Oh, look, the Packers got intercepted again. That's hilarious when that happens. We're just kicked back. We're laid back. We're enjoying the whole thing thoroughly. Why? Because we knew the final score. And that's the way it is when the final score of your life is eternally secure. That's how you live when you know you've read the final page of the Bible and God wins in the end. That's how it is to live like one of the workers that went at six in the morning or, or nine or noon or three in the afternoon. Just whenever it is, the sooner the better. Now just for the last uh, few minutes for my final point, I wanna pivot in a different direction. Grace means that God doesn't shortchange you on anything. Uh, now, this parable is kind of like the parable of the prodigal son. It's all about God's generous welcoming of sinners. That's the whole point of this, uh, of this one. But it doesn't talk about the quality of the work of the workers in the vineyard. It doesn't talk about the quantity of their work. It doesn't talk about how many hours they worked, how good their work was, how hard they worked. It doesn't do any of that. Now, later in the series, we're going to look at some other parables, like the parable of the talents, that challenge those that follow Jesus to have quantity of service and quality of service. There's going to be other parables that, that do that. This is not one of them. This one just talks about the grace, the grace of God to accept anybody into his kingdom, whether you're a latecomer or an outsider. But later on, we're going to get to some that challenge us to how we live our Christian lives. Here, here's a great quote by David Wenham that just kind of summarizes the whole thing. He writes, to put it simply... Entry into the kingdom of God is through God's generosity to sinners. Being in the kingdom of God entails running the race to obtain the prize. There is truth in the old saying that the entry fee to Christianity is completely free. But the annual subscription is everything we've got. No one will be in the coming kingdom of God on the basis of his or her own achievements 
but only on the basis of God's generosity. But everyone will be called to account on the day of judgment and will be rewarded according to his or her response to the Lord's generosity. Now that's why Jesus said these words just before he told this parable. In Matthew chapter 19, Peter answered him, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now sometimes Peter's seen as a jerk for asking that question. But Jesus didn't rebuke him. It's a good question. I wish I could say that I'll serve God with all my heart regardless of whether there's a coming reward or not. But I'm telling you, on the hard days, it's good to remember there's a reward at the end of all this. That's a good thing to remember. It'll encourage you in your discouraging days. Um, We have a saying in our family, um, that's why they call it a job. You know, we've told our kids, there are days, uh, I mean, I have to admit for me, I'm spoiled. 90% of what I do, I would do for free. But there are those 10% where that's why they call it a job. That's why you get a paycheck. There's part of your work that you do for free because you love it, but then there's part of your work you do because you know you're going to get a reward at the end. And so Peter was about to go through a lifetime of suffering. And so he says, we've left everything. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Now let me just say a word uh, to those of you here who are sacrificing for the kingdom of God. You're sacrificing financially. You're sacrificing time-wise. You're sacrificing in in so many ways. And and, and let me just say something to you. I know in this age of social media, it used to be just the things you saw other people doing or experiencing could make you jealous. Now social media just helps you to be bombarded with it 24-7. How many of you see your friends taking vacations that you wish you could take And one of the reasons you can't take those vacations is because you're generous to God's work. How many of you see your friends or family remodeling their homes or kitchens and you wish you could do that? And you think, do you ever think the thought, what if I didn't give this to God's kingdom, God's work, and instead took that vacation or did that remodeling? Uh, how many of you have friends that drive better cars than you? And, and one of the reasons was if you could take what you give to God's work and apply it to that, you could drive a better car too. Well, Jesus invited you here to hear these words. Matthew 19, verse 29. Back one verse. Everyone who has left housing remodeling, vacations, better cars, uh, or fields, um, or vacations, or, or, or anything else that you might be jealous of from somebody else, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. You know what that tells me? And there's nothing unspiritual about it. You missing out on a certain vacation because you gave to further the kingdom of God and God's work, see people reach for Christ and people in need have their needs met, You sacrifice that vacation, 100 vacations in heaven, 100 new homes in heaven. 
a hundred, a hundred um, uh, cars in heaven. He said, you said, Glenn, that's so unspiritual. Jesus is the one that said it. He's the one that said it. A hundredfold. I love this quote that Pastor Eric used a couple of weeks ago by C.S. Lewis. He said, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Martin Luther once said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. And Frank wrote, no one has ever become poor by giving. Uh, Crystal McDowell wrote, because of the favor of God, we can have peace in the midst of chaos. We can go through our lives like Kimberly and I did watching the rerun of the Packers game, knowing that even though you got knocked down this week, knowing that even though you fumbled the ball this week, knowing that even though you got intercepted this week, knowing that even though you're tired and you're weary and you have been uh, beaten down, you know the final score. We have read the final page of the Bible and we know that God wins in the end. And in Christ, we will win in the end. And all God's family said, amen.